Steve Hooker was our Icarus, a flame-haired pole vaulter who flew higher than any male Australian track and field athlete before, and then fell to earth. No other Australian man has jointly held Olympic and World Championship athletics titles. And yet his career was interrupted by a crisis of confidence so complete that he had to learn his craft all over again. So how did he overcome the yips not once, but twice, to become one of our all-time great athletes? It's always good to see you, mate. Good to see you. <laughs> you too. Come in, come in, come in. Join me. Steve, welcome to Off The Record. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a strange sport, yours. Pole vault. Um, describe it for us. It's weird. I'm really thankful that it exists, but I don't know why it exists. Um, it's, no, it's, it's a combination of athletics and gymnastics, really. Um, but it's a gymnastic event where the implements are moving. It's um, thrilling and intense and extremely challenging. And the better you get at it, the more challenging it gets. That's just kind of the nature of the sport. Never really conquer it? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you ever master it. It's got another dimension too, because it is dangerous. People can lose their lives, tragically, and they have. Um, is that in the mind at all when you're working on it? Oh, look, it is a sport where yeah, people have, unfortunately, passed away. If you've, if you've got a good coach and you've got good equipment and all that stuff at hand, you can minimise that risk. But, you know, on every jump, there's that moment where you've got to commit. And if it's a windy day, if, if your body's not feeling 100%, that gets harder and harder to, to make that commitment to the jump. And you become more aware of that fear factor. Give me the, the absolute perfect uh, model for a pole vaulter. Until recently, uh, I, I would have said, you know, like, you get Usain Bolt, he's got long arms, he's tall, he's fast and then you just teach him how to pole vault. But I think Renaud Lavillani, the, the French pole vaulter who's just broken the world record, he's kind of tipped that all on its head. He, he's a talented athlete, but it's actually far more about tenacity and figuring out the event. It's that um, finding out how to make it work for you that's the most important thing. And I think looking back, that's probably what helped me more than you know the athletic ability I was gifted from my parents. You did have athletic parents. I mean, both had big careers, didn't they? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, Mum was an Olympian. Dad wasn't, unfortunately, for him. Um, so tell us about Mum. Erica Nixon? Yeah, that's right. And she, she did all sorts of events when, when she was growing up, but went on to be a good long jumper. Um, Commonwealth Games, silver medalist, and then a, a 1972 Olympian as well. I believe my dad was the person that missed out on the spot, the last spot on the Olympic team to my mum in 1972. You're kidding. So Bill, but, Bill Hooker, your father. Yeah. Mrs. So he was, he was, you know, a good chance. There was, there was caps on the number of athletes in the team at that point in time, and she got on the team. Dad missed out. Um, he obviously forgave her, which is good <laughs> from my point of view. I had no idea that. So Dad, Bill Hooker, yeah. an eight, 800 meter. 800 meter runner. So if I go to the yearling sales and I see you, I'm, I'm going to buy you, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're well bred. I was very lucky in every sense. Um, good parents. Good, good genetics, um, and I grew up in North Bourne in Victoria and Box Hill Athletics Club was my local track. When I was growing up, when I was 15 years old, Emma George was pole vaulting there and being coached by Mark Stewart, and it just 
looked amazing. What Emma was doing, setting world records every second week, it seemed, at the time, um, looked unbelievable. And I just asked Mark if I could have a go, and it all sort of went from there. I think Mark was a bit more excited with me, given that he knew who my parents were and that he thought, well, this actually kid might have some talent. How old are you at this stage? I was 15 when I started, nearly 16, so pretty late starter for a pole vaulter. What were you dreaming? When I started? I don't know, I had a feeling about it. Um, I just had a feeling, even like before my first session, I still kind of remember this feeling in my stomach, like I just want to go and be really good at this. And I had this feeling that I might be, after 18 months for me, it really accelerated and... You know, I made a world juniors team and then that kind of set me up to be at least ready to tackle a transition into senior sport. Your transition from junior to senior athlete wasn't completely smooth and you got a serious injury and you got your first case of the yips. Yeah, for, for me, for a couple of years. That's, that's where it was, where the simplest thing I couldn't do. I couldn't do a four-step drill, the one that I learnt on my first day with Mark, was no longer really possible. Because this is interesting for us, because we know you as the Olympic champion and before that Commonwealth champion on the build-up to Beijing, really. This is a part of you that we don't know much about, this, these early days. I mean, there must have been, there must have been tears and, and torment. I mean, can you just...? Oh, it sucked. Like, you, you, you didn't know when you turned up that day which you would be turning up. So you'd, you'd, you turned up every day hoping and optimistic that it would be a good day and it'd be one of the days where you started to turn it around and you started to make forward progress back to having a bit of confidence and self-belief. Um, but more often than not, it ended badly, you know, taking it out on those around you and throwing poles and doing all that sort of stuff. But so I think you were doing all that? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was 20 years old, fairly fiery. Who got you out of it? I mean, did you seek help outside of Mark? Or, or how did you work your way through that? Yeah, I saw a psychologist. They did some hypnosis as well, um, which might have some credit for it, but I actually just think talking it through with someone that wasn't invested in it um, was a really valuable thing. Um, and because you've done it before, once you start getting forward momentum, once you start making progress, it can... it ramps up pretty quickly and the winds get bigger and bigger. And you remember what it was like to feel free and happy and enjoy what you're doing and feel confident in what you're doing. Tell me about your first Olympic experience in Athens. It was good. Like, I enjoyed Athens a lot. Like, it was an incredible thing to be a part of. Um, it was pivotal for me in a lot of ways. I was still... I still had some little demons in terms of my confidence at takeoff. Um, I went and competed in Athens off a 12-step approach, where all the guys that were going to be a chance to win a medal, they were off 18 steps, full, full approach. And... You know, I, was, I had a real ceiling on how high I was going to be able to jump in my career if I continued with that. I jumped 530, uh, came, I think, equal 28th, out very early in the qualifying round, but had a realisation where I actually, for the first time, thought, well, globally, I can be competitive with all of these guys. Um, if I can figure out how to jump off a full approach, if I can overcome these confidence issues, then I'm a chance. I knew I had to make a change. And off the back of it, I came home and within six months jumped 587, which in 2005 was the third highest jump in the world, I think, that year. How did you first link up with Alex Parnoff as a coach? Was it the 2005 World Championships? I had a shocker in 2005 at the World Championships. I spent some time with Alex Parnoff during that trip and seen the way that 
he was coaching Paul Burgess at the time and the professionalism that they had within their team. And I kind of realised that that's what I needed to do to take my career to the next level. You won the 2006 Commonwealth Games gold medal in Melbourne and you're getting stronger coming into Beijing. Let's fast forward to 2008, the night of the final. So just tell us how the early stages unfolded. It was a difficult night in the stadium, so everyone was struggling. And there was a bit of a headwind coming in from one of the entrances that basically ran onto the pole vault area. So it made it really tough for everyone. There was lots of people missing at early heights. And then we go to 585. At this stage, um, there's only really two of us left, myself and Yevgeny Lukyanenko. Yevgeny went clear on his third attempt at 585. And uh, for me, it was sort of do or die at that point. Because you'd missed a couple. Had two misses on the board. If, if that was a miss for me, it would be settling for silver, which was not really what I was there for. Do you want to have a look back and talk us through those last couple of jumps? Bruce, I don't like looking at this jump. Why? <laughs> I'm on the runway here and it's 585. There's two misses. Two X's next to my name. And I'm pooped. Like you've done four or five jumps, it's hot. Um, and your opponents put the pressure on you. And this point here, I go wildly sideways. Now this jump, any other competition of my life, I would have stopped. So I would have taken off and I would have felt that sideways movement, the pole sort of shifting to the right, and I would have been like, eh, nah, nah, not for me. But um, you don't have that op opportunity at the Olympics. It's once every four years and you'll risk landing off the mat. It was a horrible jump. Plant was off, crooked, didn't quite hit it, but somehow stayed alive on this jump. And I think, well, if I'm gonna make a clearance on a jump like that, then maybe this is my night. Yevgeny's ahead of me in the order. We've both had uh, misses. He had some really, really close misses at 590. It was like we were in a boxing match, the two of us, where one of us would go, the other one would go. You'd, you'd try and put it up there, try and get the mental edge. At this stage in the competition, he missed his third. So he's out. So if you clear it, you'll win gold. This is a jump that I, I was ready for. I'd been visualising it, the moment, for, for two years. Like, I would go to bed, putting myself inside that stadium, and I would take this jump over and over and over again. Hooker's gone up to a bigger pole. He's taken something special out of the bag. So before this jump, I took a moment and just thought, this is it. Let it happen. I walked out onto the runway. I pick my pole up and I take off. And there's no thought. And I just let the jump happen. It's for the gold medal. Up he goes. He goes over. Felt like, like the easiest jump of my life. Stephen Hooker is the first Australian field event to win a gold medal in male competition for 60 years. What a performance. Have a look at this. Up he goes, wraps himself around the bar, and he knows. And Alex Parnov breaks all the rules and jumps the fence sort of knew how many armed soldiers there were around the place and I saw him running out at me. I'm like, he's going to get killed. It's going to really put a damper on celebrations. 
Um, you do drop him quickly, but I told him to get out of there. Every everything I'd been through, like all the lead up, um, you know, the, the the good comps and the bad comps, the hard training sessions, all completely worth it to just have this moment where you get to almost just watch yourself do something and just enjoy it. It wasn't the end of the competition, of course, because you go on and break the Olympic record. But I think I was smiling before my attempt at 596. That was a jump that was just for me, you know, it was something to really enjoy and something to be savoured. Oh, he can! He breaks the Olympic record to win the goal. So in that whole competition, you only cleared six of 16 jumps. It's an amazing sport, isn't it? I mean, but you got the right ones. That's right. Yeah, it's... You can, uh... You can get away with some mistakes that you wouldn't get away with in 100 metres or, or most other sports. But I think full credit to you, you know, to, to nail it when you had to. It's a problem solver sport. If you can figure out, if you can think your way through it, um, doesn't matter how bad your day starts, it can, it can end well. What did you want out of an Olympic gold medal? So I, I wanted that, I wanted the achievement, I wanted the moment. So I had that, and then everything else that came after that, you get a, you get a bit of a kickstart for the rest of your life. It's a difficult one to answer. I, I'm not a big one for the fame side of things. It's not what I want in my life. I think it was a real privilege to have people come up to me and tell me their stories about where they were when I jumped. That, that was incredible. It must be a good feeling, even now. It is, it's good. It's more enjoyable now. <laughs> And while in Beijing, you introduced your future wife, Katia, who's a dual Olympian in her own right for Russia, a middle distance runner. We were connected through my coach, Alex, and we met literally for five minutes. Um, had a conversation, but she obviously had an effect on me. And yeah, <laughs> we started emailing and Skyping and just having this kind of long distance communication over a number of months. Gee, good coach, good matchmaker. Apparently, yeah. he saw a good fit. I think. And, and you're you're powerful. I mean, you're jumping six metres. You have this incredible run early in 2009. Did you feel like you could get to that holy grail? Did you feel like you ever had a real shot at the the Bubka record that had sort of been one of the great world records that had been there for nearly you know 20 years almost? Yeah, I feel, I feel like even looking back, there was a 12 month window. Um, I attempted the world record, I think, in four or five consecutive competitions at the start of 2009. I think I had the jump in me, I'm, I'm sure of that. I just never quite had the right set of circumstances to put it all together. Do you regret the fact you didn't get there? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's, it's the one real regret that I have about my career is that it didn't happen. What's the one thing that was left undone? And ultimately, I think chasing it is what got me in 2010 trying to find whatever that last little thing was, that, that, that centimetre, that tiny technical change, chasing that finesse is what killed me in the end. Um, I got hung up on a couple of little details and the big picture got lost on me and that's when things started to slip backwards. I haven't heard you say that before, so that you're, you're clear on that. Yeah. So this leads to the, what yeah. we call the second yips? Yeah, that's right. It was... You know, I was, I was focusing on this one little area. It's very, very specific. I'll tell you what it is. Every time I would jump, I would plant into the left-hand side of the box. 
Bubka hit the right side. Lavillani hits the right side, and we'd kind of picked up on that during the 2010 season. It means you can keep the bend in the pole longer, you can create more energy, and that's why these guys fly off the top of the pole. So I said to myself, cool, if I can hit the right side of the box every jump, I can break the world record. Still believe that to this day. I just don't think I really went about it the right way. And I was just so focused in on that, that my running mechanics, the way I was carrying the pole was all changing, and I was losing picture of, of that. I couldn't see that my overall jump was dropping off because I was focusing on this one point. So it's this very, very specific thing. Um, and yeah, by the time I realised how far gone a lot of that other stuff was, it was a long way back out. London, it was a hell of an effort to get there. You got criticised as a team leader not performing. How did that sit with you? I think uh, the president of Athletics Australia said, yeah, I'm disappointed. Oh, people are absolutely free to have their opinion, but, you know, I, I knew where I was at. And then in the end, it, it, the time had come, hadn't it? Was it hard not to retire at the top of your game? My last competition was the day after Maxim was born. So I'd been up for two nights in the hospital with Cartier and I already had this competition planned. And, and it was the Sun City Games in, in Arizona. Um, but going home from that competition to see Max, I think life started to get put into perspective. Um, I dragged Cartier, pregnant Cartier, to Arizona to really follow what I wanted to do and what I was chasing for the next four years. And um, I kind of started to put together that maybe that was not the family thing to do. That was something that was just for me. You know, off the back of it, Cartier and I decided to stay in Melbourne, have Max close to my family and, it worked out for the best in the end. But we'd left Arizona. Our house was still... All our furniture was over there. We'd just left within a couple of days to come back to Australia, and we've just been here since. Steve, there's something I've got to raise with you. In 2014, you're working at the Glasgow Commonwealth Games, and this headline broke. Steve Hooker's wife, Russian 1,500-metre runner, Ekaterina Kostakaya, has been banned for using drugs. How did you find out? A tweet went around that Cartier's name, and I think the tweet said something along the lines of Steve Hooker's wife um, has been added to the sanctioned athletes list. And someone showed that to me. And um, I thought, well, there's lots of Russian athletes with similar names, there's got to be a mistake. Well, you know, I had no idea. And I called Cartier, and that was the first that she'd heard of it at that point in time. And um, yeah, it was, it was a shock to see that, a shock to both of us. My whole world got turned upside down in a minute, I think. Um, it was a very challenging time to go through. Is it hard to talk about it? Yeah, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's not something I ever thought I'd have to talk about in my life. Spent a whole life um, in sport, chasing my dreams. Um, with intensity, but always within the rules, you know? Did Cartier, did she say to you, yes, I'm guilty, or no, I'm not guilty? It's very complicated set of circumstances. What I can say is that Cartier didn't knowingly do anything. Um, and she, she said that to me and I believe her. Um, 
And, and from that point of view, I really feel for her. But at the same time, and I've had this discussion with her, I think, and she acknowledges this, that she probably put herself in a position where other people could influence what happened to her. And for that, she's got a, a level of responsibility. And that's something that she's having to deal with every day still. Something she has to carry with her. She, she's been an athlete, that's who she is. And then in a day to have that disappear and be tarnished has been very difficult. But f from my point of view, all I've wanted to do is be there for her. So, so the relationship's strong? I, I think so. I think it's made us stronger. You're on the Athletes Commission. You've talked about wanting to coach. You've got a vested interest in the Australian team, surely? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm available to anyone to really have a chat. I think preparing for an Olympics is a unique thing. You know, hopefully there's some more athletes that we're working with at the moment that can make a step up and hopefully make a team. What about Maxim? Is, is he... <laughs> I feel so sorry for him. I feel, I feel awful for our kids. I mean, it's, you talked about bloodlines and I think um, being third generation athlete is, oh, there's, I don't know, there's going to be a whole heap of expectations. And if Max comes to me one day and says he wants to be a pole vaulter, I'll, of course, coach him and help him do that, but it's got to be his decision and something he wants to do. And almost finally, uh, your own legacy. I mean, all the big things that you strive for, all those medals, you own them all. You are top of the world. I had a good run. <laughs> I mean, I look back, I'll put it this way, Bruce. Every one of those, with the exception of, of maybe one competition, was this far from not happening. So I look back and I think, well, so many of these things have gone just the right way. And that makes me really happy. I'm really happy that I got those opportunities and I took them. Been a great enjoyment, Steve. Really, really did enjoy it. Thank you.